And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the athletic, dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portstein with you on a Tuesday morning. Blue Jackets caught up in a series with the Tampa Bay Lightning. They are down three games to one with a possible elimination game five on Wednesday. We are joined today by Brian Engblom, former NHL defenseman, three-time Stanley Cup winner, broadcaster with the Tampa Bay Lightning, former broadcaster with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, and obviously a guy who's watched this first-round series very closely. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Aaron. Uh, nice to talk to you. It's been a fun series so far, and I'm uh, looking forward to see where it leads. Yeah, the uh, the drama has been compelling for sure. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated by the difference between this series and last spring's series because it feels to me – like the Lightning have learned another way to win games. Um, obviously, it's been a focus since, since their, their upset loss to Columbus last spring, but I see that line of, of Barkley Goodrow, Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman. It's been a great line. It feels like it's kind of been the difference in the series. Maybe it's been the difference from last spring. Your thoughts on how that line's impacted the series and what may be different for the Lightning and leading to these different results so far this spring? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it when you said that the Gord line has kind of been the epitome of of how the team has played. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the grittiness. Um, Yanni has been with the team for a couple of years, but bringing in Coleman and Goodrow, uh, you know, were big ads at the trade deadline. They knew exactly what they what they were looking for. They targeted five or six players at least around the league and uh, settled on on these two. These were the ones they wanted the most. And um, they have, you know, come as advertised. They both skate really well. Uh, They're both grinders. And um, I think Coleman in particular can score. He's a 20-goal scorer. Goodrill, not not quite as much. But uh, you put them with Yanni Gord, which is only recent. Um, They only had eight games, right, at the trade deadline until the pause. Um, so they were still getting acclimated, and, and uh, Coleman in particular probably played on, I don't know, three different lines anyway, trying to find out what his niche was. So with the restart and training camp, um, it wasn't even right at the beginning that they put them together because you know, Stamkos was 
was around for a few practices, and Stamkos was on the top line. So Tyler Johnson was actually in the middle of those two in you know in, during the training camp. And then when Stammer went down again, uh, things got rearranged, and Tyler Johnson joined the Sorelli-Kalorn combination. And so Yanni Gord, who has often been a fourth-line guy this year playing with Paquette Maroon, they put him back at center. He's played mostly wing for the last couple of seasons, actually. But he's he's got such energy, and he's a good skater. But, I mean, it's the energy level, really. I mean, he wants to be in constant motion all the time. And it works really well. So putting him back at center, I think, really enthused him. And, you know, like anything, Aaron, sometimes, I mean, you know, why do why do certain combos have chemistry and others don't? The players can't, you know, can't explain it. Uh, the coaches can't explain it. You know it when you see it, and you know it when you don't see it, right? right. But you can't always, you know, say some of it's obvious. You know, they, they have a great flow together. They're all skaters. But I've also seen, you know, lines where one guy's a really lousy skater, but he's good in the corners, and the other two guys are good skaters, and that works too, you know? Yeah. So that's what I mean. You never quite know. But they, they have really led – They've started games. They've started periods on a regular basis because they are energy and they do it the right way, quote unquote. They get the puck deep and they just cycle around in there and they keep turning pucks over. And so they get a real good start for the entire team um, right off the bat. And they've done it consistently well. So Cooper continues to do that for them. Um, as far as the team in general, um, of course, you'd be an idiot not to learn something from how they lost to the Jackets last year. Yeah. Um, they they only played one way, and that was very evident. And you can call it arrogance, you can call it whatever, overconfident, you can call it whatever. I think you just call it they were really a one-trick pony. They were capable of more, but they pretty much ignored it. I don't think the coaches ignored it, but the players ignored it. And when you win 62 games, <clears throat> you win some games where you just skilled your way through it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they did. And boy, the you know the chickens came home to roost uh, in, in that Columbus series really fast. And it was uh, you know, like an anvil falling on their head. I, I mean, I'm sure it took them a while last summer to really get over exactly what happened. But they did learn. And coming right back to training camp, John Cooper said, "We are not playing that way. We are not." And um, he said, "We've got some really hard habits to break." And that proved to be true because you look at their record pretty much up until Christmas and it was very uneven because the habits really, really were hard to break. But after that, they went on some tremendous runs and they showed that, okay, we get it. And I think you're seeing that now. Yeah. And on the flip side, so here we have the lightning going in one direction, becoming more multifaceted, adding <clears throat> impact players that have changed their look. And the Blue Jackets clearly are not the team that they were last year. There are no easy goals now with that group. You take Duchesne, you take Panarin out of the equation. I should have mentioned Panarin first, of course. Um, you take Josh Anderson out of the mix, who's hurt with the <clears throat> shoulder injury. There goes a huge impact player on the four jack. When you watch this Blue Jackets team play, Brian, I feel like, maybe, I don't want to be a homer here, I feel like the will is there. I feel like the want and the drive and the, the, the energy, uh, the passion to play is there. But the ability to just get up on top of it as they had last spring is is no longer evident. Are you is that how you see it, or is that too harsh? Yeah, well, trying you know, I think for a team like them, playing with the lead makes means an awful lot, right? 
And the game that they won, that had a huge effect on them, especially after, you know, the game that never ended in game one. Right. Um, and and that, that proved to be, you know, uh, a, a downfall for the Lightning, too. The Lightning in game two looked more tired than Columbus after that, you know, eight-period game one. And that was because Columbus played with the lead. So having said that, uh, now uh, the Lightning have – have not trailed in the series since what the third period of game two. Yep. So that makes it all uphill for Columbus. It's hard for any team in the playoffs because look at the margin for error in most of the games around the league, not just this series. Um, and when you have a team that struggles to score and they, and they know it uh, when you're chasing the game all the time, it really becomes a heavy load. And I think that, you know, that's what you've seen. And so then on the other side, you know, the lightning having, you know, learned a lesson and really have learned uh, uh, another way to play. They can play more than one way. Um, they have, you know, been able to frustrate Columbus even more. So do they miss Panarin and Duchesne? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Anderson's a big ad. You know, I'm glad you mentioned his name because I remember how well he played last year and uh, crashed the net and scored some goals and just disrupted everything. Um, so it, it's a big loss for them, and they're trying to break through. But you can tell that, um, you, you know, it, you have to have some skill. You have to have some luck. I mean, look at the goal that was disallowed. You know, that was yeah. gigantic for them. They could have been totally different. Look at the power play outside the, the Bemstrom shot oh, in, the, yeah. in the prior game that hit the post when he had, you know, basically an empty net. It was from a bad angle. But yeah. those are two key things they'll look at and go, geez, I mean, we could have been in the driver's seat and we weren't as far as having the lead. And those were, you know, big things. That's playoff hockey. And you have to roll with the punches that you take to the midsection and to the head sometimes, figuratively yeah. speaking. And it's been difficult for them. Yeah. As a former NHL defenseman and a damn good one, um, I want to look closely at the blue line here, but I'm not going to start with the the easy – the oft uh, talked about narrative in this series about the guys at the top. I want to talk about what's a really interesting story to me on the Tampa side. Zach Bogosian, who could not find a fit in Buffalo, was put on waivers and cleared and signs with Tampa. And he's playing next to Victor Hedman. He's playing a lot of minutes. And I think he's playing pretty damn well. Tell me about the reclamation project that is Zach Bogosian and what you see. Yeah, Zach's done a hell of a job. Um, I know him pretty well as a player because I did a lot of Winnipeg Jets games for the first, what, three and a half years when they first moved back to Winnipeg. And so Zach was an Atlanta guy, right, drafted by Atlanta, which became the Jets. He was a a really good foundational player for them. Um, Great skill. He was a high draft pick, uh, big-time shot, tough, rough customer who can skate, great feet. So he had, you know, the, the the total package. And he, you know, he had accomplished a fair amount. It wasn't huge. He was finding his niche. But he was a, he was a mainstay for, for the Winnipeg Jets defense. And so he injuries have been his issue over the last, I would say, at least three years, uh, but particularly the last three years. And he's had hip issues. So, you know, that pretty much explains when you're not moving well, it doesn't matter what your position, your game is going to drop off. Yeah. So he goes to Buffalo in the big trade, and so now you're ex- the experienced guy on a team that's had several coaches, 
Every time you have a coach, you have a, a, an adjustment. They still have a young team. They're floundering. They're giving up scoring chances all the time. And you're one of the older players on defense. Look, I can relate to that. Went through that a bit myself. I've seen it 50 times over the years yeah. uh, where real star players that go to teams like that at some time in their career. And you, you don't know which end is up after a while because you put a lot on yourself. You run around putting out fires everywhere and next thing you know it's burning in your spot where you're supposed to be so I think he went through a bit of that you throw in the injuries and Zach Bogosian became something that everybody's going what the hell happened to him well it's it's a series of events and it's tough so he got his surgeries had to recover that takes time Um, and it, it was a good gamble by the lightning Buffalo was done with him he wanted out you know, he was a proud guy that was being healthy scratch at this point because they're moving on to young players, and they thought he couldn't play anymore, and he needed to change his scenery. So he comes in, got to play his seven or eight games, be, you know, before the, the pause, and then you can tell he didn't just sit around on the couch, uh, you know, while we were waiting to get back to play. He came to camp in great shape. I mean, the first day I turned to Rick Peck and my partner, I went, look at Bogosian. He's really moving well. Aggressive. And I said to Rick right then, he looks like the Zach Bogosian that played for the Winnipeg Jets, not the one that played for the Buffalo Sabres. And so uh, when Jan Ruda got hurt and had a very slow camp and now is still hurt, Bogosian seized that opportunity, and there you go. You've got a guy that looks like he did five years ago. Wow. Yeah. I was looking through your numbers. You were plus 63 one year, 80-81. Did you realize you were plus 63 as that season was going on? I know the stat was kept then. I'm not suggesting it was ancient history, but but did you, I mean, were you packing, were you piling that up as it went along or did that just sort of occur organically? Um, yeah, it's funny because I've seen different stats. There was one year too, I don't know if it was 82, I think I was plus 75 or 78 or something too. It's amazing. Um, so, yeah, sure. I mean, we were keeping track. There actually was an award um, for a while. The, I think they called it the Emory Edge Award or something, the plus-minus award for a couple of years. And the one year, um, I think I think I was second there to Gretzky, and I think he beat me on the last day. Oh. He was like plus five, you know, the, the things Gretzky could do. <laughs> of course, uh, yeah. That, you know, the last day. Um but yeah, sure. I, I was aware of it. It was, you know, it was a sense of pride for me um, because, you know, I'm not, uh, it wasn't a high scoring guy. And, you know, it was at the time in my career where things were just really starting to take off. I mean, I, yeah. I had two great years in the American League and then my next two years with the Canadians, I'm playing with 10 guys who are in the Hall of Fame. And you had the big three that, you know, played two minute shifts. Savard Robinson on the point. Um, so yeah. down the depth chart. So then the next two years was, you know, stopping and starting. So then when things moved on after the fourth cup in a row and a lot of those guys were gone, Larry was the only one left on defense. I, I finally got a chance to play. And so, you know, my career sort of resumed, I guess you could call it that. And so, you know, that was a team that was rebuilding. But, uh, you know, things went very well. And, yeah, I was I was very much aware of the plus minus. You were plus, yeah, you were plus 63 in 8081, and you're right. I missed this in 8182. You're plus 78 yeah. in 76 games. That's like remarkable. That's amazing. Um, as, as someone who obviously knows the, the, the trade, what is it like for you to look down upon Seth Jones, Victor Hedman, uh, Zach Wierenski, some of the best blue liners in this game right now? That may be three of the top 10 in this league. I'm maybe worried. 
Wierenski's top 15. I'm not sure. Uh, tell me about those three players, maybe more if you if you wish to expound on others. What blows you away? You see Hedman all the time. What blows you away about him or Jones or, or anybody else you're looking at? Uh, my my favorite subject. Uh, have you got half an hour? I can yeah. I can <laughs> I can tell you lots about those three guys and and everybody on on pretty much both teams. Certainly uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Let's start with with Victor Hedman then. Um, Victor is one of those athletes that come along, you know, maybe once or twice a generation because of his size. He's 6'6", 230, over 230, and he is in phenomenal condition. I mean, he is he is a true thoroughbred. To move that size body around uh, yep. with the skating that he has, and that's, that's his true gift. Well, I, I, it's a gift that he's worked on very hard. His training program, I just read about it recently, on what he does in the off season, and it would it would kill a plow horse, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> but he is his skating is his gift, but that's not the only one that he has. But he can cover so much ground, and because now of his experience, he knows what he's capable of doing. So you you let him roam, and so he's not always easy to play with because he's going to do things that he should for his sake, and certainly for the team's sake. Meaning. He'll, as the other team is breaking out of their own end, he'll swoop across to the other side of the ice and because sw- he plays the left side, so he'll be the left winger for Columbus, say, coming out of their own zone near their own boards. And he'll swoop across in the neutral zone and blow the play up. And you can see, I can see the expression, especially when I'm at ice level in between benches sometimes. I'll see the expression on the player's face. I'll go, where the hell did he come from? Where does he come from? What's yeah. He, yeah, what's what's he doing here? And he's there so fast. It's hard to explain. He's one of those guys. I remember Chris Chelios was like this. The last six or eight feet, the distance between him and the guy with the puck just disappears. And they're, they're surprised. They're blown away by it. I can't explain how that happens. Certainly some of it's reach. Some of it, he has an intuitive thing about his game, about what he is capable of doing. And he reads the game extremely well. So he will do things unorthodox, and that's what makes great players. So that also is what makes them sometimes it is unpredictable, and some uh, defense partners are not quite capable of understanding that because it's not always going to be perfect. And yeah. what, what you thought the play was going to look like coming at you if you're his partner, now all of a sudden it looks really different. So now you have to cover up and you, you have to move and move into the middle to to see what's going to happen after Victor blows it up, you know. So right. Ant- Anton Strahlman was really good at it because they played mm-hmm. together for the Swedish national team and for a couple of years here with the Lightning. And Bogosian has done a hell of a job in a very short space of time, and he finds it relatively easy. Whereas when Shattenkirk was added to the team beginning of the year, no, he 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 sees the game differently, and he's not aware enough defensively. He's a heck of a player, but he's not aware yeah. enough to make those adjustments. So that's Victor in a nutshell, and I love the guy. He makes great passes. Um, he's very unselfish, and he plays a physical game. He doesn't pound people into the wall, but he leverages people. He uses his size. He has a great poke check, and he just swallows people up. His, I think he's the best two-way defenseman in the game. So having said that, Seth Jones is, is very close in that secondary with a couple of other guys that maybe Victor has a little more experience, but Seth Jones is a hell of a player, and he has a lot of those same attributes that I just said about uh, Victor Hedman. His skating is excellent, and in today's game, if you're going to be a star player, even just to survive, 
you have to be a really good skater. But he has that intuitive feel about the game too, where um, you, you you can't you can teach a player where to be, but when the really good players are already there, you go, uh-huh, do it like him, do it do it like Seth Jones. You know, right. they put the coaches put the tape on and go, do do it, Seth. See see how he moved there? Yeah, that, that's right. what I want. Yeah, and, and Seth thinks about it. But he's already on the move. But that's what separates him and, and Hedman and the top echelon guys because they understand it, see it, and do it sort of all in one motion. They also understand the game about, okay, I need to add more offense now because we have to play by the clock and the score. What are your responsibilities when you're playing 25 to 30 minutes a game? Um, your responsibility is to control the game and not take chances when it's tied or up again. Well, maybe tied once in a while. But when you're up a goal, you know, do the right thing. And when you're down, that's the time. Unleash the horses. And that's when you know that my team needs me. I can make a difference. And even if it's not scoring a goal, and that's because I get to see Victor more often, Victor can just take the puck. And I've in past years, I've talked to defensemen on other teams, and I'll say, you know, what's it like playing against Kucherov and, you know, Tyler Johnson, whatever. They go, yeah, yeah, they're tough. But Hedman, Hedman, he's always coming. Hedman. You know, and I haven't even asked him about Hedman. So Seth Jones can do the same thing. Now, Wierenski is obviously that guy as well, too. He's not as refined. I don't think he's as intuitive defensively. Um, I think he's learned a lot, and I'm sure Torts has, you know, beat him over the head more than a little bit in order to make him pay attention there. But, you know, he came out, came into the NHL as a rover kind of player where the puck is on his stick, makes passes that a lot of forwards are not capable of, and the 20 goals this year speaks for itself. And that just didn't appear overnight. I know he's been a goal scorer. He's got touch. He's got offensive touch that I think exceeds uh, Seth Jones's. So those two together have a skill set as a tandem that is no better tandem in the league because Wierenski has a little more uh, on the offense and yeah. Seth Jones has a little more on the defense. And, again, the skating is a huge part of it. And they understand each other. And Seth Jones is like the big brother, it looks like to me. It's like, okay, kid, we need you now. Go. And right. I noticed that even early on in the game. And I know he got banged up. Wernski got banged up in the Toronto game. And I talked to him about him in the open last game saying, watch out for Wernski. And sure enough, in the first period, so I don't know if he's completely healthy, but it's really remarkably absent that he's not shooting the puck very much and up on the play. So I don't know if he's dinged up or if he's being overly conscientious offensively, but I think they need him to be that rover guy uh, a little more often. But I'm sure John Tortorella would argue with me about that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, I, I thought he was a little more active early last night, but that was really the first time or yesterday, it was really the first time in this series I've noticed Wierenski as an offensive driver. Yeah, and, um, and, and, and look, the, the defense core um, as a core, in game two, five shots. In game three, five shots. Wierenski had, I think, one shot in two games. That's a 20-goal score, right. so that's right. why I wonder, like, okay, I know he got dinged, I know he didn't finish that game four, and had he finished... Game five would never have had to happen for, I'm absolutely convinced of that because he would have been out there with Seth and they would have been able to find a way to control the puck. And I'm convinced that Toronto would not have made it to to that next game. So that's what I think of Wierenski. What's happening with him now? I I don't know, but uh, I would, I would unleash the hounds. That's for sure. If I'm Seth, 
I'm saying, I don't care what the coach says. You go and do your thing. You know when to go. But let's go here because you need the boost offensively. And I'm a, I'm a big believer that guys like Warensky, guys like Hedman, and guys like Jones, I think the game many times is overcoached by all coaches. Yep. They yep. fall in love with their styles of play. And there's nothing better as a player when I think what your star player just grabs the game and goes, and you just go, okay, boys, here we go. The big guy's going. That changes things. And I don't know why coaches don't do that little pat on the back and go, hey, kid, let's go. We need you. Do you think that doesn't fill them up completely and make you want to go? It's not going to work every time, but I'd rather die trying than, you know, working on the rock pile all the way along. Yeah. Is that what you think Columbus needs to do now? Down 3-1, heading into game five. Could be elimination game. Obviously, they have nothing to lose other than the series at this point. Um, is that is that what's what's left for them at this point? In, in your in your opinion, Brandon wants to open up to be. I mean, they're scared to death to open up against Tampa Bay because they don't want transition and they can't trade scoring chances with this no. team. But no, I'm not sure they can play this way either, right? Well, I, yeah, I, I'm not talking about completely opening up. I think I think they play a style that they have proven that they've won a lot of hockey games, and they're in this situation because they beat Toronto, and Toronto knows how to open it up, right? And they would love to trade chances, and look where they are. Golf clubs are in their hands. So, yeah, right. you know, I, I'm not saying everybody open things up, no. But what I'm saying is play by the clock on the score, but as I said a moment ago, when you're gifted players, and Warensky is particularly gifted, um, I know if I was sitting on that bench and I'm a forward or a D-man, I don't care. Um, and I see that we're down by a goal or we're struggling and we can't get anything going offensively, then that's when you go, hey, do your thing. You're, sm- you're smart enough. You know the game. You don't gra- every time grab the puck and go coast to coast. It's impossible in today's game. Everything, you know, the systems are way too good. It was hard enough 25 years ago. You know, when you when you had uh, guys like Gilbert Perrault who go back behind the net and take it all the way in the other zone because he was so good. But there was space. Guy Lafleur could do the same thing, right? That's gone. That's been gone for years. But there are times where you can grab it and you can. It's your body language, literally. It's eating up maybe from your corner or behind your net up to just over the red line at full speed, picking your way through or joining into the play and jumping in. It's it's a momentum. It's a feel thing. And in sometimes, yeah, you can blow it open. And sometimes it might be one of those spectacular dashes that you'll see from time to time. And it might just be a close call. And, yeah, your coach might be saying, hey, be careful. But at the same time, he's going, yeah, this is great. This looks good. So that's what I'm talking about. That's what I truly believe and will always believe that you have to – you go as far as your star players do. And sometimes – you have to go to them and say, we need you, buddy, and, and uh, do what you can. It's not always going to work, but I'm a big believer in that. Yeah. Uh, this is an incredibly young Blue Jackets team still. Um, I, you know, they're, they're, we talk about this being a rematch from last spring, but nine of the Blue Jackets' 20 players that have been regulars in the lineup this year weren't part of it last year. This is a big turnover uh, for this team. Who is among these Blue Jackets, regardless of position, has caught your eye that maybe you didn't fully have a, an appreciation for uh, before? Has anybody 
sort of jumped off the page to you as a guy to keep in mind in, in future years for Blue Jackets fans? Pierre-Luc Dubois, yeah. unquestionably. Oh, yeah. I, very impressed. I mean, I watch him, you know, watch games during the course of the season. And you've seen his progression. But uh, in the Toronto series, like I watched a lot of that series, and I went, wow, that kid's really, really uh, taken another step forward, a step and a half. And certainly hasn't changed my mind here playing against the Lightning. I mean, he, he really is a full-on top-level number one center now that, that really has all kinds of skill. He can skate. He can grab the game and do things like I'm talking about. It wouldn't be just, you know, Wierenski or Jones doing them, what I'm talking about. Pierre-Luc Dubois would be, I'm, I'm glad, you know, we were having this discussion on this side of it because he'd be another one where there are stretches of open ice where he has, he has that, that thing about him. You know, there, he has that presence that here you go. And you just get a different feel when certain players start skating and making some moves and go, all right, that's great. Uh, so I'm, I'm very impressed with him. I think he's, he's had a hell of a playoff and I think it's, it's onward and upward for him. Um, as far as, you know, speed means so much in the game. And I really noticed Liam Foodie. You know, he's a young mm-hmm. guy and he's feeling his way around. But when you have that explosive speed and all of a sudden you go, oh, that kid really jumped in there. That was that was really good stuff. He, he He's finding out things very quickly. I know he played for Dale Hunter in London. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can learn the NHL game very quickly. And you know what? It's It's not a... It's not a far reach to go from Dale Hunter to Torts, right? <laughs> he's used right. to he's used to a coach that you know can hold the hammer over your head, right? right. And some guys some guys fold under that, and he you know he obviously it, it doesn't bother him. Um, so I think he's been trained really well in that speed. I think he's going to be you know a really uh, really good player for them. Um, and uh, Texier, I was Texier played a little bit last year. I really right. like him too. He's got a calmness about him. You can tell that when everybody else is losing their mind, you know, he's one of those guys that just kind of slows things down, makes some plays, and he's he's learning his way about the NHL and you know the opposition players and that that uh, that you know, thought process, the, the the memory of individual players, which becomes part of you know the experienced guys. They know how a player moves or doesn't move. Texier strikes me as the kind of guy who's who's building that foundation mentally and will use it on you for years to come. So I think those are, are a couple of guys there that uh, I think uh, have caught my eye. That's great. Well, uh, heading into last spring uh, playoffs, it was it, Tampa Bay was the the darling pick of of everybody. I think myself included. It was so impressive in in the regular season. I think there's still a lot of people who have a lot of a belief in that team and that roster, but it's sort of a, I think they're part of the scene as a cluster of teams that could go. What is your view or your vision for this team, the rest of the way with bubble life factored in with what the, what the playoff picture has sort of evolved to be right now with some teams being knocked out, Washington on the ropes. Uh, just your, your final thought on, on what the lightning could do, this year and, and how all of this is starting to set up for them? Well, from about Christmas on, but certainly up by the time we hit the break, uh, the pause in March, um, and then coming back to training camp, that was, you know, I was wondering about the Lightning and, you know, other teams. But, um, you know, from what I saw in training camp, the way the guys were prepared, I thought, okay, this is just going to pick up where it left off. They had worked on that game, as we talked earlier, 
that that other game, that physical game, that shutdown game that you've seen from them against Columbus in this series, that game that they did not have, that they ignored last year. They had the capability. They had done it before. They went to the finals in 2015 against Chicago. They went to the conference finals twice uh, against Pittsburgh and Washington, uh, Washington. Yeah, eventual cup winners each year. So it's not like, you know, they stumbled their way there, you know, or only played offense. They knew what the core guys did, but they lost sight of it last year. So, you know, lessons learned. So I think they have all the tools. Uh, the guys they added uh, that we just talked about already, the physical toughness, the, the uh, standing up. Um, I know that two years ago when Washington knocked them out on the way to winning the cup, Washington beat them up. There is no uncertain terms about it. They beat them up. They ran over them, ran them down, and the Lightning didn't respond enough physically. End of story. Which is why they added guys like Bogosian and, and like Coleman and like Goodrow. Because they play, they bang, right? And they stand yeah. up. And they've dropped the mitts. Um, Goodrow has um, against the Boston Bruins before the pause. Coleman's been in, involved two or three times. Um, so they, they knew they had to do it. Uh, Sergachev has had a couple of scraps this year. He even challenged uh, Shea Weber and Sedano Chara at one point, which is what a bad idea. Yeah. yeah, I know, exactly. But, you know, Chara is a good-natured guy, and I think he looked at him and whatnot now, kid. But, you know, but Sergei, don't don't fool yourself. This kid's a man. He's Sergachev, he's got strength. Um, and he, Jake McCabe in Buffalo, Jake McCabe was John Adam and, and dropped the gloves and went, come on, let's go. Sergachev ragdolled him and beat him up bad, and McCabe uh, went off the ice with his tail between his legs. I mean, it was impressive like that, like, all right, you want to go? And McCabe, you could tell he was in total shock, plus he got about six shots to the head. Um, so, And I think that gave Sergachev a lot of confidence individually, but it also showed how they were going to play. Now, Pat Maroon coming in has made a huge difference. Because he was with that St. Louis team last year. Plus, he'll drop the mitts. He did drop the mitts with Chara. He's fought Chara, I think, four times in his career. Silly man. Even though he's a big guy, Chara, I, I think Chara is tied for first as the toughest guy in the league. He just doesn't want to fight. But yeah, you don't want, you don't want to make that guy mad. But at, at any rate, um, so, you know, all these things along the way, the physical side and standing up and they played against Washington in this round robin even. And uh, there were some fights, and there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of nasty stuff. They were running at each other. The score didn't matter. But they knew if they play Washington this year in the playoffs, this is going to be different. There was a message sent. When they played the Bruins right before the pause, there were a couple of fights. Goodrow was right in the middle of one of them. So it gets nasty real quick. So they were sending a message, I think even to themselves, not just to the Bruins and Washington. We're going to be different, but they had to do it. They had to show that they could do it and feel good about it, and they did feel good about it. So that is another large part of any way you want to play it now. You want to empty the benches, which doesn't happen anymore. They would no. do it now. Last year, would they do it? No. Yeah, no. So, so that's, that's another big difference. So I think they are fully prepared to play anybody and each series, that's what, why it's so tough to win the Stanley Cup, because each series has a different flavor and a different taste to it. Columbus is one of the toughest grinding ones that you're ever going to have. Then, you know, if you'd have played the Leafs, right, 
it would, especially if, if the Lightning had played the Leafs, it would have been different. It would have been some end-to-end crazy stuff that neither team would have been able to stop, you know, at certain times. And it would be like, okay, who scored the most in those times, right? So you have to be able to play more than one way. I'm a firm believer in that. You can say, well, teams play great defense, St. Louis. But St. Louis knew how to score. And then when they scored, they'd shut it down. So they would do this, both things in one game. And sometimes it's one game to the next or one series to the next. But that's what it takes to win the Stanley Cup and win four rounds. It ain't easy. And I really do think the Lightning are a better team this year than the team that won 62 games last year. Yeah. Well, I've never said this before, but you may be working well into September with this team. Uh, Brian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I know I, I'm so disoriented on, you know, what oh. month it is and what day of the week it is. It's ridiculous. And yeah. I do. I, I forget that it's August and where are we that going? And I uh, look at the dates on the calendar and I see the numbers on my book, but I, I don't pay attention to the month that it's August. Um, it's yeah. just kind of ridiculous to me, but yeah, um, I, I'm obviously hoping so. And I do, I think they, I think they have all the pieces. I think they've conducted themselves the right way. And the rest, you know, you, you need good fortune along the way, too. A key injury here or there. You know, Hedman goes down for a long time, God forbid, or Andre Vasilevsky. You know, that's true for every team. Um, you, you know, so you need to be lucky, too. Um, and uh, But if, if luck is good enough to them, I think they have all the pieces to do it all. Yeah. Well, Brian, I always like talking to you. I always feel like I learned something in every conversation we have. Thanks for joining us here on Front Nationwide. Really appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. My pleasure. It's great. Love to talk the game, Aaron. You know that. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.